course, for most of you will know that we're considering a little, a few thoughts on the prophet Elisha. Uh, uh, Elisha. And uh, we're reading about him tonight again. Now, we're going to go back and read again in chapter 2 of Kings. Second Kings, chapter 2. Now, you'll notice in verse, this was the passing through Jordan. I suppose maybe for those who may not have been here, we'll read verse 9. And it came to pass as they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah uh, that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when also he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were in view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold, now there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray, and seek thy master. Then you remember they went and didn't find him. Uh, and verse number 19. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord saith, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And he went up from thence unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city, and mocked him, and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head. And he turned back and looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two, two uh, children of them. And they went from thence to Mount Carmel. And he went from thence to Mount Carmel and from thence he returned to Samaria. Now I think that'll do for reading tonight. <coughs> now we did spend a good deal of time last night. Uh, speaking on Elisha and how that the Lord called him from his farm work to become a prophet and how that he uh, was uh, deeply concerned, very much concerned, that when he would be left behind by uh, the prophet Elijah, he would have a double portion of his spirit. Now, we did spend a good bit of time stressing the importance of spiritual power, and we don't need to go over that again. What we do want to get a look at tonight is just some of the things that we must face as we ponder a passage like this. It's a solemn thing for any man who has been perhaps ten years, and that's what he was with Elijah, just to feel the parting of his master. You know, he, he was quite relaxed as long as Elijah was alive. He had no heavy responsibilities. He could leave it all with him, and everything was in his hand. But then now that he's going to be left behind, and he's going to have to carry the burden himself. And he knows, as has been perfectly clear to him, that he's not just assuming the position, he's not just taking something, it's put upon him. He has no way of avoiding it. If he's doing the will of God, he's got to do what is his. And so he realizes, as we said last night, that in order to do this and do it effectively, he needs to have evidence of the power of God with himself. He needs to not just be imagining he has it, He'll not just be thinking that it would be great to have it, or even anything like that. He's definitely going to need to have evidence and proof of it. 
Now it is clear to, in the passage that what he did do was very simple and very important. And that is this, he just simply retrod the path that his master had trod. Now you know that his master had gone through Jordan. And then he's, he just goes back over the same path again. And I suppose we sing sometimes the path which my Saviour has trod led up to his Father and God. And at the same time, we have the same path to tread. Now, I want us to try and learn the lesson that is in that very simple passage for our minds tonight. That is to say, he has seen his master go up. Likely until then, no mortal eyes had ever seen anybody going up. I mean, that's a big thing. You know, it's a big thing to just to be unique, to be the first to see anything. I know that the apostles, as we pointed out last night, they also saw the Lord go up. But until this, no mortal man I judge had seen. Now, I know well, I, uh, you tell me that Enoch was translated, but I don't think anyone saw it. I don't think there was anyone uh, next or near it. It's, it. There's no hint at that in the passage. He just simply, uh, he was not. He just wasn't found. He just wasn't there. And he was gone. And we know that. And we know that both men, in a, in a special sense, uh, represent uh, the, the saints in rapture. We can see that. And of course, uh, doubtless, when we think of Elijah as the master, we want you to think of him uh, very particularly as the master. And that links him very close with our Lord Jesus and his going up. And just as sure, now this is the bit we want to get a hold of tonight, just as sure as Elijah went up and left power behind in Elisha, so the Lord went up and left power behind in his apostles. And they were called upon to do what you and I are called upon to do, to tread the path that their master has trodden. Now, of course, we all know, anybody knows when they're handling this, of course, I don't need to tell you people this, that when you think of Jordan, and passing through Jordan, it's a figure of death and judgment. And I take it that all of us who are saved have not only to get to know that in the reckoning of God, now please do your best to grasp it, that in the reckoning of God I was crucified with Christ. That is, when God saw Christ on the cross, he saw all linked with him in that very deed, in that very act. But then I must also learn, now this is what we need to learn practically, what Elisha had to learn, for he travelled with his master so far, but he has to learn now that he has to travel back as it were, and we have to, in our own understanding, grasp the fact that we have died with Christ, and that we are buried with Christ, of course, as baptism teaches us that, and we're raised with Christ. That is something we have to understand. Isn't it great to know that, as far as Elisha was concerned, he had no need to fear Jordan. Uh, he, he went back through it without any trouble. Its cold waters never touched him. He just simply went into the path and he walked back as it opened up before him. Now, there is a sense in which uh, death is a reality. Don't be fooling yourself. Please don't. Don't make out that death just a sort of a trifle and that you'll be singing, sitting up in the bed with your dying breath and you'll be singing like a lark. Now, just don't be pleased so, so silly. Human beings are human beings. We're very weak. And some of us have been at the very edge and we know what we're talking about. It's a very solemn thing to just look round your loved ones and feel now I'm leaving them. I don't know whether you like that or not, but it is solemn. And it's a very solemn thing to think that all your opportunities for service on earth is fin are finished. That's a solemn thought. And it's a very solemn thought to think that everything now that I have done has come to an end. That's, that's a very solemn thought. So death, as I repeat, is no picnic. It's no, it's no imagination. On the other hand, isn't it great to know that there's not the fear or the dread of the future, and there's not the awfulness or the thought of uh, perishing in our sins with none of that to worry about, and that it's great to know, and it must have been a great relief to, for Elisha to know, or for Elijah to know, that when he was going away, that he wasn't taking the Spirit with him, that he was, he was leaving behind what would enable Elisha to carry on as he was carrying on. And that's a great thing. Because some men would get into their heads now, and I suppose would be silly enough at times to think daft ideas. But one of the silly things that we would think is that we'd be greatly missed and we couldn't be done without. Now don't you fool yourself, dear brother. All of us can be done without. And I'll be worried about us in a lot of weeks. 
done without. Oh, you say, would miss Mr. So-and-so if he were out of the meeting? And we do miss him. You see, I was saying last night, but some of you weren't here, that all the men who were here uh, taking responsibility when I first came almost 60 years ago to this hall, they're all in glory now. And we miss them. They're all gone, one after another. Some of them very dear to me and very precious and all that. They're gone. And uh, we'll not see them on earth again. But the Spirit of God hasn't gone. Let us remember that. And so when our Lord Jesus was going away, now you keep this in your mind, he was making very clear to the apostles that there wouldn't be a lot of orphans left on earth with no support. He says, I don't leave you orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you so that you'll have power in my absence just as you had power when I, just when I, just as I had power when I was with you. Now that's a big lesson for us all to learn tonight. To know that God is always the same and that his spirit is still on earth, and he's still indwelling his people, and still fitting instruments to do his work. Don't get at all excited that the whole workers are all gone, as we said last night, away to America or somewhere else. They're not all away yet. There's still something left. And so there's encouragement for us to realize that there is the power of the Holy Spirit still remaining in this world. You see, those apostles felt a keen light. You know, it's hard to believe, you know, that they had spent uh, maybe three years, maybe three and a half about, with the Lord. And they never had to think of where their breakfast would come from. And they never had to think of any provision. And they never had to think of any defense. As long as he was with them, they had nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. They just simply left the case in his hand. And he was doing everything and responsible for everything. But you see, now that he's gone... And you see, there is a big thing that we need to grasp if we can, that we're here in the absence of the one who is gone, and we're here as his representative, just as much as Elisha was the representative of Elijah when he was gone. Just as sure as he was the representative of his master, we are the representatives of Christ. Now, I hope that's precious to our souls. And that would mean this now, the path where my Saviour has trod is the path that he would expect you to tread and me to tread. Now I'm going to quote you a verse that supports that in Paul's mind. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. But the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that the Apostle knew what it was to not just merely in theory, understand that he was crucified with Christ. But he knew what it was to share the cross and the reproach of the cross, an association with Christ. Now, dear souls, let us remember this. There's nothing more tempting at the present day than for Christians to try their best to get rid of reproach. I'm giving you a minute to think of that. And possibly one reason why we're so powerless is that we're nearly ashamed to be identified with the rejected Lord. And no matter what's in the world, we just try our best to come as near as we can. Don't like to be a whip behind. Don't like the world to exceed, as it were. We would like to just keep us up. Now, I know we don't go to the evils. Now, don't misunderstand me. Well, we don't go into the garlic and the onions, as it were, but we'd like a wee bit of cum cucumbers. I'm speaking of Egyptian fare now. But we'd like a, the, the easier thing, you know. And, and we do our best sometimes. Now, you watch it. Now, very care. You young brother, get a hold of it when you're young. You just keep your eyes open, and you see how dangerous it is to become like the world in any way that would, that would be pleasing and would make it very nice for us and make the world look upon us as nice people and as very respectable and all that kind of thing. And never, never know anything about reproach for Christ. Ashamed of Jesus can it be? A mortal man ashamed of thee? Are we ashamed to speak of him? Are we not letting on where we stand? Mind you, we're missing out on this. I know I may be harping too much at it, but you know, preachers do get weak in mind and, and they, they do harp on things maybe unduly. But my whole emphasis at the present time in ministry, and I'm not a bit ashamed to say it, is this, that our main hope as Christians 
is the, or the, is the context that we make with the people around about us. And by the context we make, introducing to their minds the gospel of the grace of God. And by doing that, we arouse an interest in their breasts. And maybe, eventually, have the joy of seeing them say it. Now, do our best to think of that, brethren. I know you think that's rhyming over stuff that's as common as, as, as can be. That's not as common as you think. You see, we get so isolated. I think I was telling you, maybe in Belfast, I don't know where I was telling it. I repeat myself a bit. But I was telling you somewhere, anyhow, that the late Mr. Tommy Little said, Watch that you don't let the walls of separation rise so high that you can't see the need of the world around you. Can you follow that? You could let the walls of separation rise so high that you would never notice that there's a perishing world outside them. Now we believe in separation, but we don't believe in isolation. Now you be careful about that. Because this is the great day of, of need along that line. Now I know the motor car has done a lot to, to make that, that, that easy. You can go along and you can meet your neighbour and give him a bit of a salute and that's all right and you meet with everybody and you hardly ever get talking to anybody. The, the day was when farmers and people in the country, you know, they're walking along the roads and maybe leading a horse or something like that and they met a neighbour that came to talk to him. You see, the, 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 the Republic of Ireland now says, we don't want to be too hard on them for a good lot of them came to this part from that end, so we've got to be easy with them. But they have a, a, a sort of a nice thing that maybe I wouldn't encourage you too far. But you know, when they meet each other, they would never think of running past each other. They always have a bit of a chat, take their time. Their life's not just a whole Russian bush the way you are. When they come to the north here, they say they're running about there half mad. They haven't time to look at anybody. And you see, you would get to that stage now without knowing it. And you say, do you know, I'm so busy, I have no time to talk to anybody. But the result that the whole world's perishing around us and we have hardly any contact with it. Now, I don't want you to go in with it or go in with its ideas or with its practices. But do remember, you have to make contacts with unsaved people until you gain their confidence. And then you have an influence upon them. That will bring them maybe to the gospel and to faith in Christ. Do our best, for our day has become very difficult. Do our best in our day and generation, to not let the world perish without at least making some effort to see them reach and see them saved. And you need the power of the Holy Ghost to do that private thing. Now, please keep that in mind. Half time, our ideas are so simple that we go into the prayer meeting and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit for the platform. And we need it there. But we never seem to think that we need the same power and the same Holy Spirit in our private context, one with, with, with the unsaved about us and with those with whom we work. It's a great thing to work with people and to suffer their approach with them and to gain their confidence and at the same time maybe get the opportunity of pouring into their ears now and then a little word in the gospel. Now and then just I remember when I was working, serving the time, I could remember young men and talking to them privately, just privately now. They'll be going away up and around uh, and, and into the back stores just to think about getting saved through conversation with them. Well, what about that, brother? Oh, you say, I love a preach. I, I think about there's nothing to equal preaching. Well, that's all right. But why not about a private preaching? You don't need a terrible lot of gift for it. And you know, there is a certain amount of gift in that, but you mightn't think it. And the gift of being able to reach people's hearts. And they'll go away with the impression that there's a man as a love for my soul. And there's a man wants to see me saved. There's a man believes I'm perishing. And many of that sticks in them. And there's an effectiveness there. And that's the way you build up the work of God. Because you needn't be thinking that behind your retracking or something like that, you're, you're doing God's service. You may, I'm not against that. I don't misunderstand me. But mind you, that thing has had its day. And you know as well as I do that you could give a thousand tracks around here without any difficulty. And all you'd see in the hall after would be very few. Maybe you don't believe that. But you try it. You try it. And I, 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 I know that any of us would pay for the printing of them. And would maybe even take the trouble of hunting them around. But mind you, when it's all done, you don't see so many out of it. 
That's the solemn side of it. I know that. Used to work and did work. But we need to think of our things. It's not seemingly. At least this is my opinion. I may be wrong. I, if you're wrong, I'm sure you haven't done you any harm by telling it anyhow. You'll bear with it, will you not? And if I'm wrong, sure, I can take it all right. I don't mind. If I, if I thought that giving out a few tracks and giving a few cards would get the place filled, I would do it. It doesn't seem to work that way now. Maybe you don't know that here, but you'd know it if you tried. And you'll find it doesn't so work that way. Now, you get influence on people and the power of God in your speaking. The Holy Ghost energizing you when you speak to somebody privately. That's the spirit that the Lord has left behind. You sisters can do that in your own private way. It's not a brethren thing, this. Many dear women have been instrumental in seeing souls saved uh, just in their private conversations and their, their private way. You can talk about the weather to, to the Christians if you like, but sure the people know when it's raining and you don't need to tell them it's a wet day and, and, and things like that. The people know these things. Tell them something they don't know and so on. And then again, now, uh, Alicia was very anxious now. Very anxious. I would say uh, reasonably anxious that he would prove in his own life the power that had been bestowed upon him. You see, the prophet promised him, his master promised him that if he kept his eye on him, that when he would be gone, that a double portion of his power would be upon him. And as you all know, he, he performed at least uh, twice as many miracles as did his master. Now, we want us to see this much, that uh, when he had the mantle in his hand, he took the mantle, and he just repeated what his master did, and he smote the waters. And he says, where is the God of Elijah? Now, he's not doing that in a, in a defiant way. He's letting us see that he wants to see God's power in his own experience. Now, please, we emphasize this last night, but we'll go over it again. Not merely talking about the power of God. That's of no veil. Not just mere, mere language. That's no, we all know theories, but it's not that he wanted he wanted to see an evidence of it. And he did see an evidence of it for when he shook the mantle across the waters. Now, I, I judge, I hope you all know that when the mantle was used, now it was, it was rolled up, you see. And he made almost like Moses' rod, you see. When Moses smote the Red Sea, it was his rod. And he was more, more or less repeating. At least uh, Elijah had more or less repeated what what Moses had done. And so, Elisha's doing the same thing, and he's smiting the waters, and they're opening up. And he walks through and dry land. And he meets, of course, the prophets on the other side. Now, they couldn't deny, this is the bit I want us to see, that nobody could deny, but that the power that had been in, them, in his master is now in his servant. Now, that's the bit we need to watch. Because, after all, there's nothing to equal an evidence of God's power in our life and in our testimony. Now, just not merely talk about it, but the evidence of it. Power in our preaching, and power in our ministry, and power in our meetings, and power with, our pe with the people we speak to, and uh, the power of God in our lives, not just theory now, but reality, evidence of it. wonder, are we exercised about that? That God would show us, personally now, you dear sisters, and you dear brethren, that God would show you evidence of his power with you in your private life and in your testimony for God. And that if you take part in the meeting, that the Lord would prove that he's with you and that you have his spirit's aid in taking part. And this is big. Because, you see, it's not just a matter of how many words you can uh, put together. You see, one disadvantage we have now, you don't be misunderstanding that expression, but I don't mean it's a disadvantage in a certain sense, but one the disadvantage we have in our day is that most of the young men and young women are well educated, far better educated than they used to be. We mentioned this last night. And so that actually uh, oratory is, is not uncommon even in the unsafe circles. Now don't you get mixed in that. We think it's great just to listen to someone who has not your limitations, but being aided by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Until all are convinced that that man could never have, never have spoken as he did, had God's help not been granted to him. I mean, that's a big thing. Now, don't be thinking I'm, I'm wearying you with that now, but that is a big thing. And mind you, everyone in the meeting knows 
Don't you be thinking it's otherwise. The people know when God's helping. And they know when a man has a message from God. And they know when it's carrying effectiveness in their souls. Now you've heard it. You know it. You've noticed that, that some would get up and give a very elaborate address and they have every word perfect and they're, they're really uh, classical in their expressions and all that. And I, I like to hear about a good speaker. As you know, I've listened to preachers for a good wee while and can still do it. Glad to listen to them. But at the same time, there's one man gets up and maybe doesn't say that much and maybe makes an odd grammatical error in the middle of it. And these teachers that will be present, they'll be certain them all out and they'll be dotting his eyes and stroking his T's and he would never think about that. Yet there's something in it. Now there's something in it that you just can't explain. But God's in it. And there's power in it. And there's effectiveness. May God help us to know more of the energy of the Holy Spirit in our public and in our private lives. That's a big thing. And I'm keeping stressing that because that is the yearning of this young man as he had lost his master. Then again, you will notice that as soon as that is over, the men, the 50 men, I think we pointed out last night, you see, it must have been very difficult for them to acknowledge a younger man, man than themselves and to think of him getting the place that they might have had. But the school of the prophets and so on, these prophets, they came and they, they bowed before him. They weren't merely reverencing the man, now don't misunderstand me, but they were realizing that the Spirit of God's in him, and they were showing him respect, and they were appreciating him. Because, you see, they, they were concerned about losing their master too, you know. And then they were glad to know that the Spirit of Elijah was still with them, even though it's in another, in another skin, as we said last night, it's another man. So that they, they bowed before him and owned him, and they confessed him. Now, they would never have done that had he not shown evidence of the power of the Spirit in his opening up of Jordan. They would never have done that. But they just have said he's just like the rest of us. He's no different to anybody. Now immediately that is over, that is followed by another uh, experience that is a little more difficult maybe to handle. There were a number, in your authorised version it's little children, but really they were young lads. Uh, there could have been anything between maybe uh, 10 and 40. Of course, I think that somebody was nearly 40 years of age and he's called a, a, a lad. So I don't know uh, what is. You know right well that uh, we use that word very liberally. Well, some of us are past ladhood anyhow. That's one thing, they're not call us a lad anymore. But uh, you know what I mean? We would say there's some brethren here with a lot of lads. What we would call a lot of boys and they just come, and they come shouting after, after uh, Alicia. There's one strange thing about him. He must have lost his hair fairly young. I haven't lost so much of mine yet. I've lost a bit of it, but not too bad. It has stayed on a wee while. But there's some people do go bald really young. And he was reasonably young, I judge, for he lived maybe, as I said, about 40 or 50 years after this. Uh, 40 years after this, so that he mustn't have been a very old man at the time. And he lost his hair, evidently. And they were shouting at him as they went, Go up! Go up! Go up! Now, that would nearly indicate to me, anyhow, I mightn't be right in this, but it would indicate to me that they were just wanting him to do what Elijah had done. Get you up out of the road. We've got rid of the one man, we want rid of another. They were indicating, to my mind, that they didn't want him. And that it wasn't a matter to go up the hill. That was a matter to go up out of a road altogether, get rid of him. They didn't want anything of God. And you know that this was a battle now. Listen carefully. Because battle was the great center of idolatry. And likely these were idolaters boys that didn't want this man that would interfere with their idolatry. And would be totally against their idolatry. They didn't want him uh, to be in their midst. So they said, go up! Go up! Go on rid of him! And he turned around and cursed them. That's the only time he exercised a, 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 a ministry of judgment. He cursed them. Now he didn't injure them. Don't you be reading more into it than he did. Never touched them. He left that for God to do. He left God to do the dealing because it was the bears out of the wood and he didn't drive them out of the wood. Uh, two she-bears came out and uh, uh, mauled uh, maybe 42 of them. That means, uh, I don't say they killed them, but they must have given them a good shake anyhow. And instead of uh, them getting rid of Alicia, they got more than they bargained for. They got uh, an experience such as this. Now, you know, now if you, you know your Bible well enough that if you were reading in the closing part of 
the, the first chapter, rather, of this second book of Kings, you'll find that Elisha, or Elijah, called down fire from heaven and not consumed the fifties that came to, 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 to take him. So that, now you're not in the dispensation of grace here. Don't run away home and think that we're advocating vengeance or, or anything like that. You're not in that age now. But during those times, one of the evidence of God's power was the way that he could deal with his enemies. And he did that. On those who came to take uh, 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 Elijah, they, they found out that they weren't able to resist God. So that they, they sent a couple, a, couple of runner to, a couple or three runs to him, and they all were perishing by fire. And you see, the apostles thought of this when the Lord Jesus was being rebuked and being dealt with. And they said, well, shall we call fire down from heaven? They were just going to live in the old age. No, says the Lord Jesus, that's not the spirit of the age. He has brought in a different spirit. It's not a spirit of judgment now. It's a spirit of tenderness and of, uh, of meekness rather than of vengeance that was in the days of the law. You see, you must remember that in the book of Kings you're still in the age of law and that you're not in the age of grace. That is something that comes in with the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Now, when we think of this and these boys now, uh, they're the raising generation. And it was quite evident that the raising generation had battled. Now, listen very thoughtfully to this. They were the product of idolatry in that very city. For as you know, the calves were put at battle on a down. And when you introduce certain religious evils, now listen to this very thoughtfully, you produce a crop of people that are lawless. Now you know, I hope you can see that now in your own city. Because remember the lawlessness that has been going on now. I know they talk about peace and so on at the present time. We hope at last we're not interfering with the politics of the town of the time. But we know right well there was a production. There's something producing the evil generation. Now I'll put it another way. You older ones will maybe know what I'm talking about. When years gone by, children were brought up very carefully in the home. And they were kept in control to a great extent. Now I believe we have maybe older men here and they never would have thought of saying on a Sunday morning, I'm not going to Sunday school. They never were asked where they go. You'd hardly believe that maybe. They were never told, well, you know, if you'd like to go to Sunday school, we'll get you ready. You never would talk like that to them. You see, it just, it was go. Nowadays, if you went round to look for children for the Sunday school, well, if they once want to go, they're quite free to go. We'll not keep them back. But there's nobody takes any heed to that. And there's little or no control. Now, even the schools are finding it difficult to control. And all this great racket that you see in the outer thing, that's really the product of, I was going to say, ill-rearing. I'll tell you a story, and that'll maybe help it to stick in your mind. A nurse, that she's still alive, she's about 90-some-odd now at the moment, but she was in, in the hospital in a children's ward. And there's two or three children, and they were behaving very badly in the ward. And they wouldn't behave themselves, and they wouldn't keep quiet and let the rest sleep. And one wee one spoke up to the nurse, and she says, Nurse! Nurse! Never mind them, it's their brought upness. <laughs> now, that brought upness, she coined a word for us. She says, take no heed to them, it's their brought upness. And mind you, we have to face it, that this brought upness, I'm coining the child's word now, it's not an English word as you know, but she could see now, it's the way they're brought up that's making them act like that. As they've been brought up the way she was, and she was only a week here in, in, in her bed, uh, they would have behaved themselves, because they'd been made to it at home, and they'd have done it in hospital. Now, these are things that I'm getting away from it in a sense, and yet I'm not. Don't let us forget that what's going on in the world just in our day and generation is that a lawless society has been reared, and they've been reared lawlessly nearly. You could hardly speak to a child now in school, an unruly child, and you give it a heavy rebuke that the parents will be at the door maybe in a day or two to tell you uh, we're going to take a charge against you for insulting our, our, our little boy. You see, things are changing. 
Now you're going to try all that. They try it, of course, so they get tired of it, and then they'll see it and not work the way they did. But a few years ago, you know, they're telling the teachers, they says, now you must never, never school a child in school, and you must just give them a jotter, and let them just uh, carry on or loll about whatever way they like. And I think they nearly kept, caught themselves on. That wasn't going to do. The school would soon be no school if you carried on like that. Now, I don't want to carry that too far, but all I do want us to know that we have to realize that here are lads, and this is the bit I want us to get at, and they're just reproducing what, they've been produ- what has been put into them, and the very opposition to God and his things that their parents have been involved with in the idolatry of Bethel and Dan. It's coming out in the next generation, and they're showing it toward the prophet. Now, there's a whole lesson there. There's a whole lesson there. We need to be careful because human nature is such that it needs to be controlled. And you know right well we have been singing some of us for years. I don't know whether you sing it much now or not. I was a wandering sheep. I did not love the fold. I did not love my master's voice. I would not be controlled. And people don't like control. But that's divine order. And without that, no assembly can prosper. Then following that, we have the case when... Uh, he went to Jericho and when he went to Jericho there was a problem there now look at the way look at it very wisely because it says the situation's pleasant you know it's wonderful how pleasant a thing it can be and how, well everything can be and yet to go for something wrong that would just spoil the whole thing but he says the water is not now you children uh, in the meeting are younger folk you might have bothered knowing what that means uh, the water's not it doesn't mean there's no water now don't misunderstand that the ordinary word that's used to translate it here, not, is normally translated evil or bad. You know the way you say that's, that's bad water. Sometimes I would get it, maybe you'd come to a meeting to preach, now you man listen to this, and you'd lift the glass, and now it's not here, don't be thinking that I've done it, and it was the glass that was used the week before, maybe a fortnight before it hadn't been changed, and you'd say that's bad water. My, the very taste to it would put the preach out again nearly. Well, I have tried that many a time. They wouldn't even think of changing the water. Just a mistake, maybe, but we don't want to be. Uh, you, you, you know all right what that is. And some of you would hardly go to the top to take a drink because you'd have to get someone in to play for it. We have very nice water where I live at Sir Loch Ney with all the, the, the garbage that goes into the loch. It comes up right and good to us and we're thankful for it and all that. But the... the uh, what we want you to get understand is this, that here's water. Now there's quantity, and there's a lovely surroundings, but the water's bad. But it's not only bad water, now listen carefully, but it has an awful bad effect, because it's making the land uh, fruitless. It's, it's making the whole country barren. It's not only hard to drink and bad to drink, but it has a bad effect on everything that's about it. Bad, bad, bad water. Bad water. And it's, it's affecting everything. So that instead of the crops becoming fruitful and, and uh, fully developing, uh, they're, they're, there's, where, uh, they're abortive. The whole thing is, 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 is useless and is fruitless and they're, they're, they're really in a bad way. Can you do anything, Alicia? This will be a good opportunity. Now, will you notice that in this prophet's life, God was constantly allowing difficulties to arise where he could use his servant to meet them. Now, you please keep your eyes open and your mind open, because that's the way God works in your life and mine. He opens up opportunities for you to see need, and where you can meet a need, and where you can be the instrument just to provide what is needed. Now, that I think is good, just to watch the way God operates in life, by creating difficulties. Oh, I could, I could talk, keep you for a long time just telling little experiences where, where you could definitely see not God at work. Opening up a way. Maybe some of your neighbours that maybe you could hardly ever get near. God allows them into circumstances just where you can be helped to them at the very crisis when they need you. And maybe somebody is in distress about something else and you can just come to their aid at the very time when they need you. And that's when they'll appreciate you, you see. They never would likely have thought very much about an issue, but this bad water made them be glad of somebody he could remedy. Now let us have a look at this, this water. Now maybe before I go further, would you please notice this? Now, I don't know whether you did it or not. Practically all, not them all, but practically all of uh, Alicia's workings had to do with water. Maybe you didn't notice that. Well, you see, he poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elijah, we pointed out that last night. 
And he went through the waters of Jordan, and he went, or at least in between the waters, and he came back again. They were at Jordan. And of course, you all have heard about Naaman the Syrian, and he was, it was water in his case. And you remember the soup, I suppose it was water and soup, I think if I know anything about soup, you put water in it, and what else you'd miss in it. Well, it, it was, it was spoiled, and he, and he put it right. And, uh, you'll find that he, he, he's constantly in contact with water in one way or another, as we will maybe see if we go, if we're allowed to go on with thinking about him. Anyhow, we want to get at this bit, and this is the bit that counts in this passage. And that is to say, now, how am I going to change this water? It's flowing. Plenty of it, but it's not good. I'll go right to the fountain where it, where it flows from. And he went right to the very source of it, where the water was springing up in the fountain. He says, give me a new cruise. And he put salt in it. And he emptied the salt into the well, into the spring. And the water was healed. <laughs> now, you, you didn't be thinking that it was a ledger change. No, it wasn't the salt. It was God overruling, I know. But he uses... Now, another little feature about Elisha, or Elisha, Elisha should have said, another little feature about him is this, that while Elijah did his miracles directly, without any assist, anything else, uh, Elisha did his miracles indirectly. That is, he always used something. Now, will you notice that? Or practically always. I hope you can see what I mean. For instance, now, he didn't come out and just pronounce name and clean. Now, he says, you go and wash in Jordan and you'll be clean. He doesn't just go to the well and say, now, well, you give clean water from now on. No, he puts salt into it. He was always prepared to use something. God allowed him to use something, but the change was wrought nonetheless. Now, that water was healed at its source. He says, well, what's all that to do with us? Sure, our water here comes from both the Salem Valley, and where you get maybe not this part of the city, but some parts of it you get it from the Salem Valley, and others of you might get it away out here, but some of these other countries, maybe somebody even from Loughnay, I don't know, maybe somewhere pumped up that way. Anyhow, it's coming somewhere. It's all right. Now, I believe, without a doubt, that the lesson taught here is this, that bad doctrine will lead to barrenness. For I take it that the water refers to that which refreshes and that which is, is meant to refresh. So that if we get the ministry right, it will bring about fruitfulness and it will bring about blessing and increase in our spiritual development. You know, there's many a place and there's been... I was going to say poison in the water. Bad stuff. And when you get bad teaching, you'll get bad results. Evil teaching has always been serious and very solid. I don't know whether you give it much thought or not. I suppose during my little lifetime, assemblies have been attacked in various ways. Certain doctrines have come into, into the north of Ireland during my lifetime. And they cause great distress, very grave distress, many difficulties. In just these very recent times, another line of things has broken. Uh, people are starting these fellowships here and there and uh, sort of new centres for young people to go to and all that. Now that's a new thing. It's, 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 it's going, it's spreading, of course. It's, all these things made you succeed for a good while and they've always created problems. And you'll find that behind it all there's a lack of teaching, a lack of sound doctrine, a lack of pure, holy, pure instruction. We need to have that. God's great word, as it were, put in, put in. Now, I don't think that it's wise for those of us who publicly minister to be constantly condemning things that are wrong. I know we do at times. But I think that far better than that is to so present what's right that those who know what's right will not be caught with that which is wrong. Now, can you see a difference there? That is, we, 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 we go to, uh, to the positive side of things. You see, uh, Elisha didn't empty the well and empty the whole water system and say there'd be no more water. But what he did do was he poured in the salt, 
which is a sort of a type of that which purifies or that which uh, cleanses and that which retains from corruption. And he poured that in. Poured that in. And that healed the waters. And they were then able to drink them. Now that was, that was, that was a great thing. That they were able to drink those waters. And they were able to rejoice in the fact that the prophet had made things different. I don't know, I suppose some of you would hardly remember, but certain men visited the north of Ireland and they brought teaching with them that really did help the saints and left big impressions upon many of the Lord's dear people. That's before my day, like at least I was alive, but I wasn't very well known then. And, and, and God did work. And I suppose any of us nearly would admit, humbly admit it, with no proud proud thoughts about it, that we owe a lot to those who taught us good doctrine, taught us the word of God, and thus been a preservative to us along the years of life. We need to realize that. You see, if you get a child of God well instructed in the ways of God, it's not altogether our proof that they'll never go astray, don't misunderstand me, but it's a great safeguard. You see, we have, a, as I think I've mentioned already, I think I'm an anti-educationist, but I'm not. I'm really, I'd be at school tomorrow if I could go. They wouldn't take me, but I would love to go to school. I love school. And I'd, I'd hit it and leave it. And I'm still a wee bit of school. You wouldn't know that, but I still do a wee bit of thinking in, in, in my own day. But what I do want us to get a hold of is this, that in our, in our higher education, there are far greater temptations than there was when people were more simple. And all kinds of ideas are instilled into the minds of people by more clever men than we would normally meet. Now think of this. Now, the young Christian listens to that. He doesn't believe it. And this is the bit I want us to get a hold of. He doesn't believe it. But it has an influence. It has a hurt on him. It hurts him. It grieves his spirit. And many a time it reaches to the point, and this is a bit that staggers me and has shaken me to my very foundations, many a time. It didn't annoy me in the sense that I was turned to say, but to meet Christians. And while it didn't convert them to the wrong, it made them that they weren't as sure about the right as they should have been. Can you follow that now? I hope I'm not been too fine in my remarks. That is to say, there are many a man could shake your confidence in what you know is truth. But he couldn't switch you right over. But he could make you unhappy with what you have. You be careful. Because we've all been through all this. And we've known what it is. I remember meeting a brother, and I don't mention his name, and he had imbibed certain doctrines, or at least he, we thought he had imbibed it. And I just, in my own simple ways, you know, I would very unassuming way of speaking to people, I just said, are you absolutely satisfied now that what you've taken in is the truth of God? No, he says, to be honest, I'm not. So how long have you held this thing? Or one have been working on it? Same for 15 years. Which is, if I wasn't convinced of a thing in 15 years, I think I'd scrap it. And it wasn't, it wasn't right after 15 years. Now, all that he got was this. He got his mind shaken. But you see, I have difficulties with what you believe. And I have difficulties with both, but you see, there's no, there's no conviction, there's no settled mind. Now, these are weak things. You watch yourself, dear young brother. Mightn't have too many of them here tonight, but you know, these are big matters. You could get shaken and get annoyed. Now, the whole safeguard, this is what I want to get over to our minds before we close, is to get the salt in, as it were. Get the truth of God in. And get it in at the very heart of things, so that nothing will shake you and nothing will change you. And nothing will upset you. These are, these are very solemn things. You must remember, maybe you don't think of these things, but the enemy is constantly, they're constantly attacking the assemblies of God's people. It's not just a matter of now and then, but he's constantly at it. And he would use any conceivable means to wreck every testimony in the north of Ireland if he could. He certainly is against those who would hold up the truth of God against the, against the odds. And he doesn't want that. And he would defile every, every stream that's flowing. But what we need to remember is this. 
and bad doctrine. Corresponding to the bad water, if I'm accurate to use the illustration, brings about barrenness. Brings about barrenness. I was in Canada, and I was talking to the son of a man who started a whole racket in England way back, I don't want to mention it, in the meeting. And he took me to the one side. So see, I suppose you're a bit suspicious about me, for he says, you knew about my father, so I said, I did. I said, see, I thought you would be a bit suspicious about me, because he says, you think I believe what my father believed. But this was the solemn confession. So see, all that my father was able to do was to rack a number of assemblies or divide them up. And so see, there's hardly one of them that divided up in existence today. That's why I tell them. You see, the barrenness. The barrenness follows wrong doctrine. You can't have it otherwise. We need to have assemblies preserved in their teaching. We need to be very careful what we believe. And we know what we believe. And we need to not be shaken or upset. You remember Paul writes to the Christians and he speaks that you be not shaken in mind. You get a Christian shaking in his mind. He doesn't, he, he doesn't just maybe switch right over. But he's shaken. He's not confident. He's lost the confidence in the truth that he once held. Now, these are solemn things. I know you don't like me talking maybe on Julie, but this is getting back to the fountain head and get right in there and pour in the salt. And then the waters were healed. They were, they were lovely to drink. And then the ground became fruitful. So we need to be careful that we don't become barren and dried up with, uh, with unfruitfulness due to teaching. That's not right. There are companies, and you know right well, now without me telling you, there are assemblies that I've never been in and never will be in in this world. They've imbibed things that I couldn't agree with. And they wouldn't want me or I wouldn't be Asked and don't be thinking that I'd refuse to go. I've never been asked. They won't be asked. They won't want me. They know what I believe. And they don't want it. Well, these are things that are very solemn. I'm not, of course, the high standard. I suppose I don't go to the place. It doesn't mean that nobody else should go. That's not the, I never would even dream of that either. But I do want us to think that teaching is very solemn. And very serious. Because it has sad consequences. If assemblies turn aside from the truth, they'll surely lose the sweetness and, and the fruitfulness that they ought to have. May the Lord preserve us, brother. Don't let us be proud or haughty or saucy and think we just know it all or anything like that. That's a lot of nonsense. We've always to learn. But don't let us be afraid of learning, but let us make sure that it's pure and holy teaching that we have and that we have the Word of God at, us, at our backs. May the Lord bless his Word and keep us for his name's sake. Shall we pray? Amen.